It's amazing when you really think about how much things that we think drive our behavior. And can you observe that rather than let it run your life? Mm. That's mindfulness thinking, if you will. Mm. It's almost like a puppet on strings in some respects. So our anxiety can run our life. Our depression can run our life. And practicing mindfulness is a way to sort of observe that process rather than just letting it run wild. Mm -hmm. um, because there's, there's no power in that. Um, there's no centeredness in that. It's, you, we, we're out of control in some respects. So that's kind of where I can take my practice into my clinical work with clients, too. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Boat. Hey friends, today we're talking all about mindfulness. We invited our friend and coworker, therapist Christopher O'Reilly to join us. Christopher serves as the Executive Director of Milestones, on-site's holistic and specialized residential trauma treatment experience. You've probably heard us talk about Milestones on past episodes, and so today Christopher is not only going to deep dive into the topic of mindfulness, but he's also going to share a little bit more about the holistic experience that we offer week in and week out on our campus here in Tennessee. The topic of mindfulness for me can feel a little ethereal and kind of out there. Um, it feels a little unattainable if I'm honest. And so today, Christopher really does help us get practical. He shares some examples from his own life and really how mindfulness played a huge role in his recovery journey. I can't wait for you to hear that story. Christopher uses mindfulness in his everyday with his kids, at work, and with the clients he serves. Christopher has an extensive career running residential and outpatient programs specializing in trauma, addiction treatment, and detox. And as he shares, he's kind of become the mindfulness guy. So if you've ever wondered how to get really practical um, and you've wanted to implement a mindfulness practice into your everyday, this is the episode for you. Make sure that you stick around to the end of the episode because Christopher agreed to walk us through a mindfulness exercise to kind of ground the entire conversation that we had. So without further ado, our friend Christopher. I'm so excited to be sitting here with Christopher. Christopher, you are our new executive director of Milestones. Is yep. that your correct title? Correct. Great. And what does that mean? I think from my perspective, it just means that I'm sort of the front person in regards to just managing the whole program. Mm -hmm. And I have a great team that I get to work with. I sit on the executive team on site too, which is really nice. Yeah. It hel it's helpful to have that voice for milestones. We are really grateful for that. I feel like sometimes a lot of people are familiar with our workshop side. Mm -hmm. um, they've heard about the Living Center program is probably what most people are familiar about. And there's always kind of this mystery around milestones and like who goes there and what is it for? And so would you talk about like what types of clients we see at milestones, what sorts of things are an impetus for them coming to milestones and what kind of work happens when they come? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so, I think the type of client that comes to Milestone is someone who is maybe thriving in a lot of areas, meaning you know they might be really successful professionally or um, just have a lot of talents. But then from maybe a relationship perspective or a self-esteem perspective, um, they're really struggling. Uh, so for a lot of 
for a lot of people, they might see them as they're doing okay, but they're really not. So the clients that come to Milestones tend to really be struggling with uh, anxiety or depression or maybe just like struggling with the relationship they have with themselves in regards mm-hmm. to self-esteem. It typically gets to a point where their life is, um, you know, they're, they're just having this overall struggle where they're having a hard time, sometimes even functioning. And despite all of maybe the outpatient therapy that they do or the self-care that they do, they can't seem to, um, you know, do better or start to feel better. Yeah. And, and it seems to me, too, that a lot of the... Um, challenges that the milestone clients might have, it stems from previous experiences, Mm -hmm. traumatic experiences. And that's something that we can really help them with. A lot of times the word that we use at Onsite to talk about those adverse experiences is trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, and I know that milestones is sort of known for being a great place to recover from the effects of trauma. Um, And however, they might be showing up is that trauma usually a chronic sort of ongoing trauma or is it that they had one sort of major Acute. life event like a car accident or a divorce sure. or a... Sure. Yeah, I think it can be both. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say about someone that had like a major life event, let's say it was like when they were a child with um, a traumatic experience, it tends to make it difficult to have healthy experiences moving forward. So mm. it's almost like... The trauma might have been a long time ago, but there's a whole lot of challenges leading up to the admission as an adult. Um, It's also very common for someone who maybe had, they grew up in like a really unhealthy home environment to have unhealthy relationships as a young adult and then as an adult. So Mm -hmm. as much as it might have started somewhere quite a while ago, it tends to kind of play play out in different ways. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it's something that I think people can understand intellectually, meaning like what type of relationships are bad for them or how they struggle in relationships, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that they can necessarily fix it. And it's not a lack of motivation. It's not a lack of understanding it, but uh, the trauma just sticks with us. And, and mm-hmm. I like to say it get, kind of gets stuck in the body and yeah. in, in the heart. And sometimes it requires like a length of treatment that's more than what outpatient can provide or intensity of treatment Mm -hmm. more than outpatient can provide. And that's what milestones can offer. And you've been in the residential space for most of your career? I would say all of my career. All of your career, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I had um, the opportunity to work in residential drug and alcohol for coming up on eight, it was like 18 years Mm -hmm. prior to coming to milestones. Wild. So what has been... I think when I think about residential, we do think about people who are like you. I love the framing of they're thriving in some areas, but really not doing well in another area, and that's the area that's impacting or affecting them the most. Who's the right person to come for a residential versus an outpatient, like you were saying? And what makes milestones different? Yeah, sometimes people have had unhealthy relationships or mm-hmm. traumatic experiences, and they can do some outpatient and understand it better and move past it, develop coping skills, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. We, we want that. Or maybe even come to a workshop like yeah. we have here on site. But I would say for the, the person who, despite all of their work in an outpatient setting or even in workshops, mm-hmm. can't seem to make changes, 
And the changes might be seen to others just by the way they behave, but also just the relationship they have with themselves and how they feel. Yeah. So despite all the outpatient therapy, they just might still struggle with depression or might have this anxiety that they can't shake. Mm-hmm. That's the person that might want to come to Milestones. Because like we were talking about a little while ago, it's something that can stick with you forever. Mm-hmm. Meaning if you don't work on it, it doesn't go away. Yeah. Time is not always the healer specifically when it comes to trauma. So mm-hmm. to dedicate the time, and I say dedicate because I'm really talking about putting your life on pause, giving yourself a month to do some yeah. more intensive treatment. And it's that's a big commitment. Yeah. But sometimes it's required. Mm-hmm. I feel like one of the misperceptions I had prior to coming to one of the workshops here at Onsite mm-hmm. was that just that it was going to be this kind of bummer of a time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that you're like, I'm going away for a week to like do work on myself. And when I came to the Living Center program, I was like, oh, that was like such an enjoyable relational mm-hmm. time that, yes, there were some like hard, murky moments. Sure. But when I think back on it, the good so outweighed the bad. Mm-hmm. And as I've been in proximity to our milestones community, I like I'm like, oh, I want to go there for 30, 60 or 90 days because yeah. it just is such a loving, caring environment. Mm-hmm. They get to do all these cool things mm-hmm. in addition to therapy. They do some equine work and mm-hmm. some adventure therapy. And the way that the staff and the team come around our clients too mm-hmm. and love and support on them and help build back self-esteem and just coping skills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like, we all need that. Yep. And so I just would love to hear you talk about what the milestones experience looks like and, mm-hmm. and how you curate that. Yeah. I love your, uh, your thoughts on that, because if you think about it in one way, like we say, okay, come here, there's going to be minimal distractions, meaning you're not going to have your phone. Yeah. You can't have wine with dinner. Like some yeah, of the, All my coping skills are gone. That's yeah, right. right there, like just in those two things. Some of those basic things. But mm-hmm. what we're really trying to do is create a container. Yeah. Um, and when we take away those distractions, there we are. Mm-hmm. Which is the most daunting part. Right? And that's right. the thing, right? And, and I think that's why residential works in ways that outpatient can't, because as much as outpatient therapy is really good... You do it for an hour, and then you go back into your life. Yeah. And there's not a real break from the daily routines that we have and the ways that we kind of avoid dealing with what we need to deal with. Mm-hmm. But to your point, it's like we create an environment down there that is very safe and very mm-hmm. nurturing, and you don't have some of those things, but it only gives you more time to be with yourself and with other people. And I honestly believe all over the years of doing residential, just being away from your environment and even the people that are supportive of you and healthy for you yeah. create space to um, get to know yourself, which I think is a really important part of the healing. It can be very daunting and very uncomfortable, yeah. but mm-hmm. that's why we have all the support there so that you have the support while doing such work. Yeah. yeah. We've talked with other people who have worked in and around the addiction space on this podcast and- one time we got into a conversation about the power of the community and the group experience and how there's so much healing that happens even outside of a group session or an individual therapeutic session. And we talked about all the beautiful modalities and the holistic care that we give, but what it looks like to 
really be in community with people who bear your soul and for them to reflect back to you, like you're beautiful, you're accepted, you're welcome, Mm -hmm. and even tell you the things that you don't think are true about yourself. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to the Milestones community? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because we have people, it's an adult-only program, so people, young adults through people that are older adults, Mm -hmm. and they come from all over the country, Mm -hmm. and they come from different lifestyles and professions and religions and spiritual beliefs. And they're all there for one common reason, which Mm -hmm. is to just reconnect with themselves and to work through some of the challenges that they have. And that just creates a beautiful healing, Mm -hmm. like, like you described. But, you know, if I were to describe the milestones community, it's the one thing that is, um, they all hold in, in common is that they all want to be, in a better place. They want to Mm. have less pain in their life. Mm -hmm. And everyone that comes to Milestones, one of the things that's a really critical component is they have to be motivated to do the work. Yeah, You know, we're not going to have somebody come into Milestones who doesn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. They can be hesitant and maybe nervous and scared and a little unsure. But um, what's interesting about that profile is when they get there, and they start to make connections with people that are so different to them, from them, but also so similar to them. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful thing within itself mm-hmm. because, you know, someone might be in their own life and no one understands what they're going through. Or even if they have people that understand them, there's no one that can help them. Yeah, They come here and they're sitting in a room, the community, with people who felt the same way mm-hmm. in their life. So that in itself, just they just settle in. When you were talking about sort of attending milestones being like an opportunity to like reset and be able to like reimagine and reconfigure and reconnect with yourself, it made me think about transitions. And you have now yeah. been at milestones for you came for three, three months. months? Mm-hmm. Amazing. And that was a huge transition for you and your family. You mm-hmm. relocated from Pennsylvania mm-hmm. where you had spent a long time. And so I just, I think feel like transitions also are like a time that we can kind of begin to like reconfigure and reimagine, mm-hmm. reassess, reconnect with who we are. Yeah. How, what are you learning in the season of transition? Wow. That's a huge question. <laughs> uh, I'm learning so much and I, uh, it's, it's so interesting because as much as I've been at, in Tennessee now for coming up on three months, there was something a year ago that just started to kind of bubble up in mm-hmm. me before there was any idea of this, right? So it's almost like I have this belief that sometimes the universe kind of wants you to hear things and understand things, and it's it's our job to pay attention. Mm. So I knew something needed to change, and not that where I was working was bad or where I was living was bad. It's just... It, it was time for the next step. Yeah. And then minding my own business in Pennsylvania, this opportunity came up. I wasn't even really looking. Yeah. And that's just really fascinating. But I've always found that like I've had like a period of restlessness I was about for to call about a, a year before, and then transition always like finds me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that exists, but I, I've always felt the restlessness before the opportunity came, which That's is it. interesting. Just to echo a, your experience. I, I can so relate to the restlessness, and 
I just remember having conversations with my wife, like something needs to shift or something needs to change. And we didn't really have a sense of what it mm. was. We loved our community. We loved, like, we were close to family. Mm-hmm. But um, to kind of take your question a little further, like, I think what I've learned in the transition is that I just need to pay attention more to my heart and what signs there are rather than just, I think being too connected to thoughts and your thinking can just keep you stuck. I, I think sinking into the deeper communications or just deeper meaningful stuff is important. But I'm really enjoying, it's a whole different world down here compared to the Northeast. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a little calmer. People see, seem happier. I just, it's, it's just people are, I mean, I love the Northeast, but it's just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think mm-hmm. you were talking about a restlessness. I always feel like it's like an itch. I start to get the itch of like something needs to change or I need something. Um, and I think it's opening yourself up to even that idea. Like you almost start to attract it mm-hmm. and track that energy. Like, okay, something's coming. Like I'm I'm open to that. I don't know what that is, but. Yeah, it's yeah. It, interesting. Like also for me, I've moved a good bit and yeah. kind of followed my intuition around transitions like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like, what I've left behind, even though it was, like, good, it's like it closes back up. Like, mm. it would be like, it's like there's not room for me in that space anymore. Yeah. Like, or it doesn't exist. And so it's it's just super weird how other things start to transition around you. And you're like, yeah, it just was so clearly time. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've gotten those signs from all sorts of things. It's so true. So yeah. true. It's a gift. I remember once someone asking me, like, whose seat are you sitting in? Like, if, you, if you're not supposed to be there, then you're taking up someone's spot. And I just, that idea has always stuck with me of that a transition or a change is not just about me. That there's always ripple effects to whatever the change or the transition might be. Oh, that's good. And there may be someone that needs to come and, like, kind of like you were saying, closes back up that space that you're holding or the energy or relationships or whatever. There'll be a shifting and it'll be distributed and there's someone else that needs to, mm-hmm. to come in. So I think it's kind of my prod to lean into it. Yeah. That's been one of my favorite things about just taking calculated risks professionally mm. and like even personally and because it's been fun to let's say, you know, switching a position mm-hmm. then being able to kind of create space for someone else who's ready. Yeah. So that's just a really neat thing. Yeah, one of the things that you mentioned in this season has been not allowing your mind um, to really rule or having a check over that. Um, and you have kind of really started to specialize or have a, a deep appreciation for mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And I think when I think about mindfulness, there's a lot of misconceptions around it. Um, I've referenced this a lot on this podcast, but Orion on our team just says, mindfulness is just noticing something that wasn't there before. But how would you define mindfulness and how does it ro- play a role in your life? Yeah, for me, um, the way I would define mindfulness is bringing the mind into the present moment. Hmm. So for me, mindfulness is, you know, this mind being in this moment, which is, what's interesting about that is the body is always in this moment. Mm. Whenever you breathe, it's here. You can't breathe yesterday. You can't breathe tomorrow. You breathe now. Mm. And our mind is a gift and a curse, in my opinion, because Mm -hmm. it has the ability to be in tomorrow and it has the ability to be in yesterday. But it also has the ability to be in the here and now, which is not something that it likes to do. Uh, it likes to worry about tomorrow and reflect on yesterday. Mm. It's kind of part of survival and sort of being 
acutely aware of what's going on and maybe even preparing. Yeah. But I really think we have to uh, create a practice of bringing the mind into this moment. Mm-hmm. It's actually like requires a lot of attention because it's not a natural thing yeah. by any means. Um, so that's how attention I would dis- or intention. Uh, sure. Okay. Both. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it requires an intention to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love the word practice when you refer to mindfulness because mm. like a lot of things, um, it requires that intention um, and a practice. I you always use the analogy of running, right? Because mm-hmm. I like to run. You have to uh, really put energy into that if you want it to become something that you become good at. Yeah. Or can do with minimal distress. This is why I'm not good at running. <laughs> you don't want to put the effort in. Yeah. Yeah. So um, mindfulness has been uh, a big part of my life um, for a long time. And it's, you know, something, again, with a, with a practice. So just taking time mm-hmm. to practice meditation. So it's been a huge part. And I think, like we've been discussing, paying attention to intuition or Paying attention to your gut, as some people call it, mm-hmm. requires that level of attention. And we can easily be distracted from the minute we wake up till the minute we fall asleep at night. Yeah. And never be with what's happening in the here and now. It's so very what possible. does that practically look like for you? So um, I kind of look at it like this. There's there's formal ways mm-hmm. to, to practice meditation. Like it could literally be you dedicate time and space in your day. Mm-hmm where you're not trying to do anything other than be in the present moment. And what's beautiful about that is there's so many, I want to call them opportunities or even like there's apps, there's Mm -hmm. communities, there's, I mean, anybody that wants to develop a meditation practice, it's not like you can't find resources. That's that's a non-issue at this point. There honestly, there's so many resources that it's kind of overwhelming. It is. It is. And I mean, you could, that's a great point. There's, there's a ton of resources. And what I've learned over the years is if I have a consistent practice, like mm-hmm. meaning I wake up and I spend 20, 30 minutes meditating, I'm more aware throughout the day. It mm-hmm. has like this residual effect or this lingering effect, which is really helpful. But um, to kind of give a little story, so like I started meditating in my early 20s and I had started having kids at 30. So I had like 10 years of what I call uninterrupted practice. <laughs> I could meditate whenever I wanted to, and there was no issues. Yeah. But try doing that when you're not sleeping at night mm-hmm. or you know you have little ones. or It just changes yes. everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it was such a beautiful learning experience for me because when I had kids and my whole life shifted, I learned more about just being present in everyday activities rather mm. than practicing meditation, you know, it used to be you practice meditation if you want to be mindful, but when you can't practice meditation as often as you like, or as in that kind of quality, then maybe when you're driving to work, you turn off the radio Mm -hmm. and you be present in your drive to work. Mm. Maybe when you're walking from one meeting to the next, instead of thinking about the meeting you're going to, just feel the ground under your feet Mm. and maybe feel the rise and fall of your chest as you're breathing. It can be as simple as when you brush your teeth, can you just brush your teeth? I mean, it sounds silly, but who is present when they brush their teeth? Like nobody. So you can be in the same place as your body mm. m- mindfully throughout the day if you, if you are aware of, of it. Like you make it a priority. 
Yeah. Because like even walking up here from the building I was just at, just just be present. So I've I've appreciated those moments and mm-hmm. entered those into my life more so with a with like kids. But now uh, you know, kids are no longer babies and and mm-hmm. can do both, right? Yeah. But but both are. I don't think one's more valuable than the other. But I will say I think with a a formal practice, it's mm-hmm. it kind of really gives you um, a foundation for the day to day small yeah. types of things. And I think, though, like you made it sound so approachable. And I think just having the lens of can my mind be present where my body is? Yeah. Because like you said, we could spend our whole day with our body in the present and our mind somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's really approachable language. Yeah. And I I, uh, I also think like, you know, it's maybe not because like, there is so much information out there and there's yeah. traditions. Some meditation practices are very much tied to a spiritual or religious path. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you need to become any type of religious person or spiritual person necessarily if you want to practice mindfulness. Mm-hmm. They can go together, um, but it's it's not necessary, and it's um, it doesn't have to be that big of a thing. So, you know, you don't need to sit cross-legged on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to buy any beads. You know, <laughs> you don't have to become a Buddhist, and you can benefit from living a more centered life. I mean, if you really think about it. Hundred years ago, everyone mm-hmm. was way more mindful than we are today because they didn't have the type of distractions yeah. that we have today. Um, so it's, I kind of see it as a necessary th- thing for myself because we live in such a complex world and it's mm-hmm. it's all about balance. And I just need to kind of spend some time quiet if um, you're going to balance all of the stimulation that you experience throughout the day. Yeah. What does your mindfulness practice look like right now? Like the more formal practice that you talked about? Yeah, sure. So um, it could be one of a couple things, right? So right now, if I can get 20 minutes most days of the week where I can not be interrupted. So for me, that means either doing it in the morning before my kids are awake, quite mm-hmm. honestly, yeah, or maybe getting to work a little bit earlier and doing it in my office. But what that for me is, I'm not a big fan of um, guided meditations, like trying to visualize things. I just like to find uninterrupted time, like I said, to just to be present. So Mm -hmm. it might just be a breath awareness meditation where I just notice the rise and fall of my breath as I'm sitting. Um, It might be a body scan meditation where... I bring my awareness to my feet and I work my way up through my body over a period of time. And it might just be, you know, just bringing attention to here now, maybe noticing sounds, mm. maybe noticing sights. And I've already, I still do meditations where you just even bring attention to the mind, mm. meaning you observe thoughts as they arise, you recognize them for what they are, let them go, and more come. It's almost like watching a movie. It's, mm. it's quite interesting. Because with mindfulness, I believe we, have, we are not our thoughts. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're our emotions. That We are deeper than that and more centered than that. So that's really helpful in a, in a whole lot of ways too because if you're not your thoughts and your emotions, you experience those things. Mm. You might not be as swayed or yeah. impacted by the things that arise in your mind and your thoughts. So 
to give an example of that, like, you know, if I start to feel anxious and I'm in a pretty centered place, like I can observe my anxiousness and honor it, recognize it, and maybe start doing some breathing and watch it fade. It's a really neat thing because it's, it just doesn't throw my day off as, yeah. as much. Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying this episode with Christopher. I loved recording it with him. One, because I loved having a little bit of a deep dive into mindfulness, but I also loved the glimpse he gave into the Milestones experience. I wanted to take an opportunity to tell you a little bit more about Onsite's holistic and specialized residential trauma treatment experience located on our 250-acre campus in Tennessee. It really is a one-of-a-kind experience. No one escapes adversity. I feel like we talk about that a lot on this podcast. Yet, as Christopher mentioned, sometimes the pain of our past builds up to the point where it interferes with the demands of our present. What we've found is that when life feels like it's too much, Milestones offers a refuge and a place of healing. The team at Milestones has supported hundreds of people as they address the roots of trauma and create a plan to move forward into the life they really want to live. If you or someone you love you think could benefit from this innovative and individualized care that Milestones offers, our team would love to connect with you on a confidential call. You can discuss your options and learn more about this program. Call them at 800-341-7432. Now, let's get back to the interview. I think the couple of interactions that I've had with you, you just carry a very calming and peaceful presence. And so what I make up is that has a lot to do with the last 20 years of your life of really focusing in the intention and the practice of that. Um, what were you like before you found meditation? <laughs> As someone who tends to operate at a higher intensity of, sure. you know, even anxiety and my mind being mostly in the future, often in the past. But yeah. yeah, what did that look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I almost want to like uh, interview some people, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a while. But um, I can tell you, I think I was, I think part of its personality, because mm -hmm. I remember being a pretty common you know, I wasn't ever like a super um, loud or intense person. Yeah. So I think part of it's personality. Totally. But I, I can't help but think that, you know, spending the time that I do in practice and how important this is to me, I'm sure it has an impact. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. What was the catalyst for you finding mindfulness? My story is quite interesting because... Growing up, I think like in my teenage years, I kind of went off track mm. uh, in a lot of ways, like drugs, alcohol, did not do well in school past, I think it was like eighth or ninth grade. So I was not headed in a good direction. Um, mm. And I think it had a lot to do with just, you know, my family and childhood and all that kind of stuff didn't have a whole lot of direction. And um, I even dropped out of high school, Oh wow! which is a interesting thing reflecting back. But then, I mean, talk about just things coming into your life unexpectedly. I was in, uh, I got a GED at a local community college, mm -hmm. somehow decided to take like a gen ed course. And it was like a spirituality class. Yeah. And the teacher talked about Buddhism and there was something about it that caught my attention and over maybe a three month period completely changed my behaviors as far as being self-destructive mm. and started meditating and reading books. My friends and family thought I 
lost my mind because they like it was such an abrupt shift that they didn't know what was going on, right? Sort of like, hey, do you want to hang out this week? And be like, no, I'm going to read and meditate. They're like, what is what is going on <laughs> with this guy? So um, it was a very significant shift that I did not see coming, and it uh, I don't have like a traditional recovery story, but it's one that everything changed through this practice. So it, I, I kind of feel like I owe my life to it. Mm, yeah. Not Are there dramatic. authors that you found in that season that were really life-changing? Yeah, yeah. So um, Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a Vietnamese monk who actually just passed away this year at a ripe age of, I think, like somewhere in his 80s. Mm. But he has written dozens of books. Uh, I read a ton of his work. And Pema Chodron mm-hmm. is another, she's an American Buddhist nun who is getting quite old herself, um, but, but is a wonderful teacher and author. Mm-hmm. I very much remember reading a lot of their work early on and a couple of others, but, but those, those two were primary. Yeah, I've heard um, several people reference Pema. Am I saying that right? Probably. And even I grew up, in a Christian faith tradition. And people really, even in that tradition, have learned a lot about Buddhism and leaned on some of those authors Mm -hmm. to really build into their spiritual practice because Buddhism has such beautiful practices Mm -hmm. around how do you come around around yourself Mm -hmm. and work through pain and grief and... And there's a lack of that in a Christian tradition. Yeah. So I just thought that that was really cool, even to hear some of spiritual teachers that I love and respect utilize that from another faith tradition. Mm-hmm. I love what you're saying, and that so resonates with me because, you know, some of their writings, it's less about believing in something, and it's more about exploring it and understanding mm. it. And Pima Chodron, she writes a lot about walking towards the things that are uncomfortable to you or that scare you and being curious about them. And that is just so brave and courageous. And I learned a lot from, from her work. And interestingly enough, through reading over the years, and I mean, I've come kind of full circle to some even Christian authors that, I mean, meditation and mindfulness is a part of that tradition as well. We just yeah. use different words like contemplation. Different language, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a universal practice where you create space to notice, connect with yourself, connect with a higher power, whatever makes sense for you. I like the language of practice. Um, Phil, our COO, always says that it's a practice, not a perfect, and he's referring to something different, but I love thinking of practice in that way because it's it gives you room to be a beginner and it gives you room to explore and and practice it when I think mm-hmm. a lot of us think, okay, I'm going to meditate and it's going to look this way and I have to perfect it mm-hmm. when really what you're saying is it's been a 20-year exploration. I feel like one of the barriers for me around practicing mindfulness is similar to the same thing that keeps me from running. Mm-hmm. Um, funny that you made that analogy earlier. It's just that I don't feel like I'm good at it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like when I have sat in the guided meditations and they're instructing me to watch my thoughts drift away, I just get so distracted and I can't, I keep moving to tomorrow and things to be aware of. And so what advice would you have for me as a beginner in it yeah. and mm-hmm. somebody that doesn't feel like they're good at it? Yeah. Where do I start? 
Yeah, it, it's uh, it's really about quantity, not quality. So it's making a commitment to try mm. and knowing that with time it'll get better or easier or be more impactful. Because the other thing that I've heard a lot is, you know, I've meditated for a month straight and I haven't noticed anything different. But put that into perspective. It's like your mind has been wandering mm. and unstructured for the last 40 years of your life and you think a month of meditation is going to make a major difference. I just don't think that's fair. Yeah. So, and to go back to the running analogy, I mean, if you could commit to like tying your shoes on every day or however many times a week and uh, just trust that with time it will get easier or you'll be able to do it better or further, whatever it is, that's really what it is. That's why I say quantity. It's like yeah. how many times a day or how many times a week or a month can you commit to a practice and just know that it will get easier. I think we can use that analogy for anything because if you wanted to learn a new language, yeah. like yeah. you're not going to be good at it right away. Maybe some people would. I certainly would not. But with time and practice, it will get better. Mm. Um, so with um, meditation, it's like the goal isn't to be good. Um, the goal is to create space to be. Mm. And even if the mind wanders, can you just observe the mind wandering and do so without judgment? Because um, that's, again, just another thought. Like, I can't do this or like, I can't stay focused. Can you observe yourself thinking that? Hmm. Yeah. Because like, you can always kind of get deeper into like a centered part of you. And just those are just nothing more than other thoughts. It's amazing when you really think about how much the things that we think drive our behavior. And can you observe that rather than let it run your life? Mm. That's mindfulness thinking, if you will. Mm. So it's a, it's almost like a puppet on strings in some respects. So our anxiety can run our life. Our depression can run our life. And practicing mindfulness is a way to sort of observe that process rather than just letting it run wild. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. Because there's there's no power in that. Um, there's no centeredness in that. It's you, you, we, We're out of control in some respects. Mm. So that's kind of where I can take my practice into my clinical work with, with clients too. Mm. Um, I've been thinking a lot about habit in this, and I've been doing some research um, for some projects here and just understanding the anatomy of a habit. And James Clear talks about the difference between consistency and intensity. And mm. we always want intensity. We want to be able to say, well, I meditated for three hours straight when that doesn't actually make a habit. What makes a habit is the showing up every day and having five minutes of that or taking the time between meetings and walking and being where your body is, like showing up consistently like you were saying. So mm -hmm. that thought was coming through my mind. But then I was wondering, and I'm glad you kind of gave us that bridge, how do you take mindfulness into the recovery work that you do, into the trauma work, and what is the impact? Because so much of my understanding of trauma is that it takes us out of the present moment and we're feeling something, we're in the present moment, but our body is reacting to something in the past. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk about what you shared about with the body being in the present, but our emotions and our mind being in the past? Yeah, absolutely. And that being physical. Sure. You know, the first thing that comes to mind as a clinician, um, and I would just say in relationships, Yeah. Uh, my mindfulness practice helps me to, to hold space for people. You know, if, if I'm less distracted, 
then I can really be present with you in, in a conversation. And I think clients can feel that. And so, you know, I think as a basic idea, like as clinicians or as people who help other people, you know, to be in a good space yourself is probably pretty important if you're going to be there for others. Yeah. But then taking it to the work, you know, teaching clients how to meditate can be really helpful because then if, if they can develop a practice and sort of see what's going on more so than just being taken, taken by it, that's really helpful. Yeah. The one challenging piece, though, I think it's important to mention, though, is when people have a lot of stress or anxiety because of trauma, distracting themselves is actually a strategy. Mm. Keep so them safe. Yeah, it keeps them safe. It keeps them able to get through the day. Someone who is really riddled with anxiety due to trauma, they might watch a lot of Netflix or, you know, have other ways that they kind of numb or, or kind of separate themselves from their from their stress, which you don't want to rip that all away at once because mm. it can be extremely overwhelming for somebody. So there you have to be really careful about you know, inviting people to be in the same place as their body when their trauma is stored in their body. Mm. So maybe it's, you know, it's baby steps or starting small and kind of creating space for them to feel. The, the, there's no easy way out of trauma that's stuck in the body. And the work that happens at Milestones, they do a lot of work with the body, a mm -hmm. lot of experiential stuff that's not necessarily mindfulness. But there's a lot of Therapeutic techniques that are grounded in, in mindfulness. Is there a difference between mindfulness and grounding? I don't think so. I mean, I think they're one Different and the language, same. Different language, yeah. Yeah, because when I think about grounding, I think someone that's really activated mm -hmm. uh, in their stress, in their trauma, and a way to ground someone might be to, you know, if they're feeling panicky, mm -hmm. to have them feel the ground under their feet. Uh, it might be, invite them to take some deep breaths and feel the rise and fall of their chest. And sometimes it's even, you know, to feel the sunshine on their face. Anything that can kind of bring them back, giving them something cold and asking them to feel the cold, hmm. that can help to ground someone too. So I think it's very mindfulness-based. Yeah. Yeah. That was just a random question that sure. I have as an outside observer. Yeah. 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 Christopher, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah. Are there any other things that you're doing right now besides mindfulness, since we spent so much time on it, that yeah. just to keep yourself grounded and centered in the here and now? Yeah. I mean, for me, um, stress comes in all forms, all sizes, shapes, and I just think it's really important to pay attention to a lot of different things. So for me, you know, you really can't put all of your energy in one area and not pay attention to other things. Like. Mm. It, Having a holistic approach is really important to me. Yeah. So I'm really mindful about getting enough sleep. I'm really, I pay attention to what I eat. I make sure to get exercise. And we started something since we've been to Tennessee um, where we take one day a week, whether it's Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, and we try to do absolutely nothing productive. Mm. Oh, cool. So I've heard a lot of interesting things about taking a day of Sabbath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some people that I admire, like people that I follow and podcasters and stuff that mm -hmm. say they implemented a day of rest and they have found that their 
10 times more productive in six days than they were seven. Mm. And I'm like, ah, I just had a hard time believing that. Yeah. And in a couple of months of practicing it, I honestly think there's truth to that. Yeah. I don't think we were are, are supposed to be busy all the time. Yeah. And which I know is hard when you are a professional and you have kids mm-hmm. and a house and live in this world. So I think like trying to find balance is. Yeah. is what do you fill that time with? You know, since we're new to the area, exploring mm-hmm. Nashville, exploring Franklin, spending time with the kids, just trying to avoid being productive, but just being with the people that I care about. I love um, that. Mm. A great practice. Yeah. yeah. So as I wrap up, I thought it would be kind of fun, Christopher, for you to just give us maybe a minute or two or however long you want to of just a mindfulness practice people could uh, save and come back to. Sure. Um, and just to kind of practice what you're leading us into today. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think for starters, I'll just say um, to each his own. Yeah. So for anybody new out there, if what I lead you through is not something that you either enjoy or find effective, please explore other things because mm-hmm. there's so many great like resources out there. So what I'll do just um, with time here, I'll just lead us through a short breath awareness meditation. Right. And it's something that, um, you know, just take a couple minutes and even if you just did it once a day, I think it could make a huge impact. So if you're in a space where you can kind of avoid distractions or disruptions, that would be wonderful. Um, And if not, you can just listen along. But if you're in a place that you can do that, I would invite you to put both feet on the ground. We're going to practice bringing the mind to the body and might as well practice on being connected to what's here now. And if you're in a place or you feel comfortable to close your eyes, I would invite you to do that as well. And all we're going to do today is literally just create some space to notice what's in this moment. And as we close our eyes and we settle into this practice, I invite you just to notice your breathing. And you can do that just by bringing awareness to the rise and fall of your chest. And there's no need to manipulate your breath in any way. I invite you just to pay attention to it. Just be an observer of your body as it breathes. And as you notice the rise and fall of your chest, maybe bring awareness to your breath as it comes in and out of your mouth or your nose. And what I'm really inviting you to do is allow your body to bring the mind into this moment. Like I mentioned earlier, the the body is always in the present moment. Maybe feeling your breathing in your chest, your throat, your nose. You could probably even notice your breathing in your upper back. Really just giving yourself permission to put what you were thinking about on pause and just notice the here and now.
And if your attention fades or something pops into your mind, no need to get frustrated. I invite you just to come back and notice your breathing. We're just creating space to be here. I would argue that a mindfulness practice is more about coming back to this moment than being in this moment. It's just the nature of the mind. Just noticing your breathing. All right, so as we bring this short practice to a close, I invite you to take a deeper, more conscious breath. Maybe start to move the body a little bit in ways that feel good. And when you're ready, if you've had your eyes closed, I invite you to open them. All which will conclude our practice. So good. Thank yeah. you, Christopher. Could be that simple, right? Perfect. Thank you both so much. Thank this is awesome. So, much. so good. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.